Uh, Father, we are thankful to be together in this place. Thank you for the joy of being your people and singing and praising and praying and uh, making melody in our hearts. And how we ask um, for your assistance now that uh, you would open our minds to your word, that your spirit would bring this message to our hearts, and that you might meet us in our need to see the sufficiency of our Savior and uh, your heart toward us. Um, We're grateful. Uh, Guide us now as we talk in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Could I get a bottle of water from one of you guys? Um, Thank you. I'm out of practice, I'll tell you what. Thank you. Let me ask you a personal and hard question today. Um, Have you ever felt like God is against you? Uh, Maybe you grew up in one of those homes where a lot of things didn't go very well. Uh, Maybe you watched your parents divorce at an early age. And it felt like God had abandoned you and that He was against you in that. Maybe you went through horrible abuse. And in moments of difficulty and sadness and grief, wondering, does God care about me? What's He doing? Why does it seem like He's punishing me? Some of you have lost children and may have experienced feelings like that. Uh, Maybe you've gone through a chronic illness that hasn't gone away and you wonder, what is God doing? Is is He against me in this? Maybe it's financial loss. Maybe it's relational pain. Have you ever felt like God is against you? Um, One of the things that might shock us if we're unfamiliar with Scripture, as we begin to read it and get to know it, is how honest it is, almost embarrassingly honest. If we were to read many places in Scripture, we would find believers from the beginning to the end of the Bible who felt just like that. That God was against them, that He had abandoned them, that He was punishing them unjustly. Uh, We would read about guys like Abraham and Moses who felt like that at times. Uh, The name that comes to mind when I think about that is a guy named Job. Who in the midst of incredible loss of his family, in the midst of chronic uh, a chronic severe illness that everybody was convinced would take his life, he felt like God was... Mocking him, punishing him, abandoning him. And and Job wondered, is is God against me? Um, If you've ever felt like that, the, the good news is we can find men and women in Scripture who felt just like that. And and that's that's hopeful to us because it shows us this is not some abnormal experience. Many believers are going to feel like that from time to time. But this is an important issue. If you feel like God is against you, it's going to be hard to trust Him, isn't it? 
If you feel like God doesn't have your best interest in mind, it's going to be really difficult to love him and follow him and obey what he says. So this is an important question. It's one that we probably don't talk about a lot, but, but we, we get to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Well, over this last year, I have walked alongside a man who has become a dear friend. Uh, this man was called by God to be a prophet, a spokesman of God in the Old Testament. And, and his job, God called him to this job, was to preach to the people. They had rejected their creator. They had rejected the one who had called them out of Egypt to make, the, make uh, them his own people. Uh, this man was called to preach to a rebellious, idolatrous people that were just pursuing all the wrong things. This man ministered for 40 years and nobody listened to him. In fact, at the end of his ministry, people were still saying, you're not a real prophet. And so after 40 years of faithful preaching, 40 years of being true to his call to bring God's message to the people, and they would not listen, and they would not listen. In fact, you know what they did? They mocked him. They wrote songs mocking him. Can you imagine you turn into the ancient Near Eastern radio, and you hear contemporary music mocking the prophet of God? That's what they did to him. They plotted against him. They persecuted him. They plotted a murder. He was, he was thrown into a pit left to die. And later he concluded his, the, 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 the high point of his ministry, how things came to a close for his ministry. You know what happened? He watched his beloved city burn. As a foreign people invaded just as God had told them would happen if the people would not repent. The Babylonians came in. They destroyed Jerusalem. They annihilated the temple, this, this beautiful facility that represented the presence of God of the people. And he wept. In fact, you, you know who I'm talking about. What's his name? Jeremiah. What's, his, what's, what's he known as? What's his nickname? The Weeping Prophet. I've spent this last year reading through the book of Jeremiah and just wanting to get to know this man and his ministry. It's one of those bigger books that's kind of hard to get your arms around. And um, Jeremiah felt like God was against him many times in his ministry. And uh, as he watches Jerusalem burn, as the Babylonians come in, as he sees his people slaughtered in the streets and thousands more carried off to be captive to Babylon, he picks up his pen and he writes five poems. These are poems of lament, or we might say poems of sorrow and grief. You know, when, when you tune into your Spotify, your, your favorite Spotify channel, whatever, there, there's happy songs, there's thoughtful songs, and then there's those songs that just communicate the, the deepest recesses of human despair. Did you know there's an inspired book in your Bible that's just like that? It's called the Book of Lamentations, and I'd love for you to turn with me in your Bible, if you haven't already done so, to the Book of Lamentations. Um, why was Jeremiah 
so distraught? Why was he so depressed? Why was he so grief-stricken? Well, you've heard everything by way of background. Look with me now as he writes this first poem in chapter 1. Lamentations is a book of five poems. Uh, if you looked at it in Hebrew, it's, they're, they're very interesting. They're acrostic psalms, so they follow the alphabet. And uh, there's lots of things going on here. But just, I want you to get a sense, what were the things that were particularly hard for him that, that caused him to feel like God was against him and God had abandoned him? Look at chapter 1 with me in verse 5. How lonely. In fact, that's, that's the name of the book. The, the name of the book in, in Hebrew is how. Like, how could this happen? How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Listen to this. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her, her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. Among all her lovers, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Listen to this. Even her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. Flip down to, to verse 15 of chapter 1 there. The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. He has called and appointed times against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. And Jeremiah writes, For these things I weep. My eyes run down with water. Because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Do you hear it? He's looking out. The city is on fire. The temple is in shambles. People are being taken away. And he's looking at toddlers. As Jeremiah would come into the city day after day to preach the people of God, even the children mocked him. And now he sees some of those children being carried off as slaves to Babylon. And Jeremiah says, I can't stop weeping over this. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. He says, the Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against His command. Hear now all people, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. Flip down to chapter 2, verse 11. Hear more of what he's weeping over, what he's sorrowing over. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes fail because of tears. You know what that's like? You've cried so much, you can't see straight. Jeremiah says, I am so overwhelmed with sorrow, I'm weeping so much, I can't even see clearly. He says, verse 11, my spirit is greatly troubled, my heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. He says it again, when little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city... 
down at verse 19. How bad was it? Arise, cry aloud in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him. Listen to this. For the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. He's looking around seeing children starving in his community. A month earlier, earlier they were flourishing. He sees the suffering of children. But it's worse. Look at this. Verse 20. See, O Lord, and look, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? And that's repeated again in chapter 4. Food was so scarce, there was cannibalism going on in this horrible war and battle that destroyed the nation of Jerusalem. Jeremiah says, what are you doing, God? I don't understand. It feels like you're against me. See, Jeremiah knew that the people were rebellious. Jeremiah knew that God had warned them of his judgment and now it was coming to pass. But he was overwhelmed with seeing it. And the sorrow of the destruction and the, the violence that was happening on, going on. And as he begins to think about this, he begins, listen to me, he starts to question God's intentions toward him, toward Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been faithful. Way back in, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, God had promised him two times when he was called to ministry, I am with you to deliver you. And Jeremiah concludes now... It sure doesn't feel like it. You ever had experiences like that where, where what you know the Bible says is true conflicts with your experience in life and you're going, it sure doesn't seem like this is true. What must have been going through his mind? Can you put yourself in the sandals of Jeremiah for a minute? And you're seeing children killed, taken off, starving, these horrible things going on. And you were the prophet appointed by God to keep that from happening. We can't know for sure, but as I'm thinking about Jeremiah, I'm wondering if Jeremiah is thinking things like this. I'm a failure. The people didn't hear me. I let God down. You know what that feels like, don't you? You ever look back at your adult children and you say, why didn't I do this? You look back at some time in your life where you now see, I really blew it. And you go, I am such a failure. Maybe that's where Jeremiah is. Maybe God's punishing me. Maybe he's against me. Well, I don't know your story, but, but what I want to I show you is how this Unvelops, uh, unfolds in Jeremiah's life. And I want to try to answer the question this morning. What do you do when you feel like God's against you? Okay. Well, let's look at just a, a very simple outline we've got here. Um, look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. Jeremiah erupts in sorrow. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. 
But, but notice, he's not talking about God punishing the people now. He's saying God's punishing me. Look what he says. He says, he has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all day long. He's caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. He's walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. What does this sound like to you? Depression. This is a description of depression. I've had people in my office for counseling struggling with depression that have said the exact same thing. It seems like God has got me in a box and I can't get out. It seems like he's walled me in. And even, next verse, when I cry out to God for prayer, it's like he doesn't listen. He's made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out, verse 8, and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. Listen to this. He, God, is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and toward me to pieces. He has made my way, made me desolate. He says, God, God feels like this bear that's hiding behind a hedge and he just can't wait to pounce on me and devour me. Verse 12. It's like God is an archer. He's bent his bow and he set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter my inward parts. God's now, he's shooting at me. He's trying to destroy me. Verse 14, I become a laughing stock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. There's our reference to the fact that people literally wrote songs mocking the prophet of God. And as he would come into the city to bring God's message, you can imagine them sitting on the sides of the streets, singing these songs, mocking Jeremiah and mocking the God of Scripture. Verse 15, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood, meaning he is just sorrow upon sorrow. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. The prophet is saying, I am scared to come into the presence of God because it feels like he's just out to get me. Here's his conclusion, verse 17. My soul has been rejected from peace and I have forgotten happiness. You ever felt like that? You're so discouraged, you're so depressed, you're so anxious, you're so overwhelmed, you can't remember what it's like to be happy. Well, that's where Jeremiah is. I don't remember what it's like. So he says this, 18, So I say my strength has perished, and so has my hope in the Lord. Lord, I'm done. How is Jeremiah interpreting God's actions here? You catch it? In Jeremiah's mind, God has become this monster. This, this being that's just out to devour him, that's playing games with him, that's walling him in, that's, that's not listening to him, that's out to destroy him. 
But, but notice, notice a lot of this has to do with how he's interpreting God. And, and really, that, that's, our, that's our first point I want you to think about. Be careful how you interpret God in your difficulty. Be careful how you interpret God in your difficulty. We are most vulnerable to misinterpret the character and intentions of God when life is difficult. Have you noticed this? When you're struggling, when I'm struggling, when things are going on, when we're discouraged, we are the most vulnerable at that moment. We're the most tempted to interpret God through the lens of our experience. Does that make sense? See, see, what the Bible says is what we're supposed to do is take what God says about himself and about truth and his purposes. We take that and we let the Bible be the lens through which we understand our experience. That's what we're supposed to do. But in difficult times and struggles and depression and anxiety, all these hard things, here's what we're tempted to do, to reverse that. To interpret God through the lens of our experience. And that'll give us into all sorts of trouble, won't it? You ever done that? We let our emotions determine the character of God. And that's not a good thing. That is not a good... If you guys learned this, that your emotions lie to you, your feelings are an unreliable navigational tool to understand what's actually going on in life. And that's what's going on here. Jeremiah is misinterpreting the character of God. God told him who he is. God, God told him his plan. And, but the problem is, in the sorrow, in the difficulty, in the affliction, he begins to let his feelings be the lens through which he interprets God. And he makes all of these horrible conclusions. The formula strong emotion plus severe difficulty often equals misinterpreting the character and plan of God. And that's what's happening right here. It feels like God is blank. Do you see that? Do you see how he's doing that? And, And maybe you've done that. I've done that. We need to be really careful in the midst of difficulty how we interpret God. And what we see here is Jeremiah is in trouble. He's in big trouble. And then, look at this. Something happens. Look with me. Uh, at verse 18. So I say, my strength has perished and so my, has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and, the, and my bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He says, I'm, I'm broken down in depression. I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the fetal position spiritually is what he's saying. Look at verse 21. This I recall to mind. And therefore, I have hope. And we almost do a double take and go, what just happened? He's sorrowful. He's bitter. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's, he's throwing in the towel of his faith. He's interpreted God as this monster that's just out to destroy him. And, and things are, he's just going to crash and burn. And then something happens. And he says, I've got my hope back. I've got my hope again. Now, when you're reading this, don't, don't you want to say, well, what did he, what happened? Right? What, what, what did he, and he says here, surely my soul remembers this I recall to mind. What did you remember, Jeremiah? 
How do you go from utter hopelessness and despair to regaining your hope and confidence in a God that is for you? Well, that's what he's going to talk about for the next few verses, okay? You got it? You, you with me? Okay, so, so with that, with that, look with me. We'll just call this six pursuits when you feel like God is against you, okay? So, so when you feel like God is against you, when you're where Jeremiah is at or some level of that difficulty, what do you do? And I think Jeremiah, as he pens this poem for us, helps us to understand where should we go? What should we do when we're experiencing something similar? Here's number one. Actively remember God's never-changing character. Actively remember God's never-changing character. Look with me at verse 21. This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. We say, Jeremiah, what did you remember? He tells us. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed, what? They never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And yes, that's where we get the hymn from. I say, what just happened? Jeremiah stops himself in the midst of his discouragement. He, he, it's almost like he grabs himself by the collar and says, Jeremiah, what are you doing? You, you ever done that? You're in the midst of some despair, some difficulty. You're, you're, you're sort of speaking things in your heart and you catch yourself. You go, what am I saying? And Jeremiah grabs himself by the collar and says, wait a minute. That's not true. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He begins to remember the character of his God. And that's the thing to see here. Notice he lists here three attributes. The first one is his loving kindness. That's God's loyal love. That means that that's his reliable trustworthiness. God is reliable. He's loyal in His love and His disposition toward us. And Jeremiah remembers that never ceases. He remembers what he learned in his Sunday school class. That God is faithful. That He's true in His love and His character. His compassions. That refers to His mercies. That means that God's disposition to care for others never fails. And his faithfulness, right? His trustworthiness, his reliability. He says that's new every morning. Isn't that good to remember? When you get up in the morning, you pull your phone out and your news app comes up and you go, not again. Or maybe uh, you're just going through something really, really hard. And you wake up in the morning and all the reality of those circumstances set in one more time. What do you do? You remember that in the midst of that difficulty, God's mercies are new. His faithfulness is consistent. His loving kindness is unmoved. Listen, even though it feels like God changes sometimes, the Bible affirms He never changes in His character toward His people. We have to remember that. You and I have a role to play. That's what Jeremiah is saying. We can't just go with the flow of our emotions. That will take us out to the the sea of depression. We have to stop ourselves and say, no, that's not my God. Do you hear him preaching to himself here? 
Do you tell, do you hear him recalling these things to mind? That's what he's saying. Because our emotions lie to us about God. I've told you this before. Our feelings are blasphemous artists in the pictures of God that they paint. And you have to stop yourself when your emotions are drawn this picture of God that looks more like the, the monster than the God of Scripture. Listen closely. What he's showing us here is that hope is not based on your feelings. Hope is not based on an improvement of circumstances. Nothing has changed. The city is still burning as he writes this. Hope is not based on your feelings. It's not based on optimistic circumstances. Hope is based on the certainty of an ever-faithful God. And we need to remember that. I think Jeremiah helps us to see that as he's pulling himself out of his depression. Let's look at a second pursuit. When you feel like God is against you, actively remember God's never-changing character. Number two, engage God by talking to Him, not just about Him. Engage God by talking to Him, not just about Him. Look back with me at verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is... What's your Bible say? Your... Faithfulness. Now, I know it's still early, but we need to go back to grammar school here for a minute. Okay? This whole poem has been about, it seems like God's doing this. It seems like God's doing that. It seems like He's against me. It seems like He's shooting at me. It seems like He's a bear. It seems like He doesn't care. It seems like He walls me in. God's talking about God, isn't He? He's talking to Him like, you know, God's over there. What does he do in this verse? He changes and he does what? He starts talking to him. Guys, I can't tell you the spiritual renovation that will happen in your heart and my heart when we stop talking about God and start talking to him. Especially when things are hard. And that's what he's trying to help us to see here. You know this. You've got some relational squabble with some person in your family, some person at the office. Tell me this. Do things get better when you just go talk to your friends about them? You just kind of talk about them to yourself? Or do things get better when you go to that person and try to work it out? See, that's the difference. It's it's true in human relationships. It's true in our relationship with God. We don't just want to talk about God. We want to talk to Him. So when we we feel like God is against us, don't run away from Him. This is hard, and this takes step one, right? Actively remember remember God's never-changing character. But here's what we do. When we start to let our emotions define God, we run away from Him. And so as we remember who God is, as we preach His character to ourselves, as we remind ourselves of His promises, then what do we do? We pursue God. We turn to Him rather than just muse and talk about Him. And and it is amazing what will begin to happen in your heart when you engage God in that way. And Jeremiah helps us to see that we need to engage God and talk to Him, not just run away and talk about Him. So when you're, when you're feeling like God is against you when, you, when you feel like you don't understand and, and things are going on and, and it doesn't make sense, God, remember who he is, right? Remember his character and then engage him in conversation. Talk to him about it. Do you understand that 
you don't have to be in this neat, tidy place of spiritual health to go talk to your heavenly father. Moms, is that how your toddlers do it? They go put on their best clothes. I'm going to go talk to my mom right now. You know, I skinned my knee and so I got to, is that, no, mom, right? And they're crying and they're a mess. And, and what do you do? You embrace them. You don't have to go clean up to go talk to God. Go to your heavenly father. Tell him what's on your heart. We have a whole Psalm book that demonstrates the reality that that's what God wants us to do. So let's turn to him and talk to him. Let's not turn away from him and just talk about him. Number three, claim God himself as your most prized possession. When you feel like God is against you, you rehearse his character. You remember who he is. You turn to him. You talk to him. And thirdly, as you, as you do those things, remember, what does Jeremiah say in verse 24? The Lord is my portion. See, this is something we forget. Usually depression happens. This is statistically true. Usually depression happens when we lose something. Did you know that? We lose something. We lose our health. We lose our financial stability. We lose a relationship. We lose a loved one. We lose the hope of a dream. Right? Depression usually follows a loss of something. And, and maybe, maybe you can relate to that in your life. So what, what's the remedy when, when you, you, this, this, it's gone, right? And you're just discouraged and despairing. Jeremiah says, when that happens, you need to remember your most valuable possession that you can never lose. What is it? What does he say? The Lord is my portion. You say, what's that mean? What's portion? Remember when, when uh, the Israelites went into the land, God said, I'm giving you this land, and they allotted the land, and this tribe got this much land, and this tribe got this other. Remember that? They, they divided up the land, and that was uh, the family's portion of the land. But then there was this group, this, this other family called the Levites. Do you remember them? They, they were the people in charge of the spiritual services in the nation of Israel. These, these were the priests. These were the rabbis. And God says, um, you're not getting any land. No real estate for you. And they go, what? Why is that? And God made this point to, to the Levites that God himself would be the portion, the, the inheritance, if you would, to the Levites. And that became something of a metaphor for the whole nation of Israel, that, that God is our greatest portion. It's not the real estate. It's not our stuff. It's not our family, it's not relationships, those are all great. But the best and most valuable possession we have is God himself. And that's what Jeremiah means here when he says, the Lord is my portion. He's looking around, he's seeing toddlers uh, hungry and starving, going off into captivity. He sees the temple burning, he sees the Babylonians winning, he sees a rebellious people bemoaning. He says, what do I have to be thankful for? How can I possibly find hope and joy? And then he remembers, I still have God. You know, that, 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 that's a really important question. How valuable in your own eyes is having God himself? You know, I don't know what you're like... 
I struggle to keep God as my highest, most valuable possession. In fact, if I'm honest with you, most of my life is other things that are displacing God. Do you have that problem? God's always kind of sliding off and and something else is displacing him and we have to keep bringing him back and say, no, the Lord is the most important thing. He's the one I'm at, right? God displacing. And and here's what I've noticed. And, And tell me if you think this is true. Do you struggle with that? Things displacing God as your highest, your, your best prize, the most thing, the thing you love the most. When that happens, I've noticed this. Whatever I'm leaning on, whatever I'm holding on to that's displacing God, whenever that happens, I will tend to let my idea of God shape into whatever that is. Here's what I mean. If I let God slide off the dashboard and good health becomes sort of the thing that I'm prizing the most, I'm going to tend to reshape God into this God that should always keep me healthy. You see what I mean? Or, or if, if having a fulfilling relationship is the thing that I'm clinging to instead of God, I'm going to reshape God into a God that should give me happy relationships. Do you notice that? We tend to put expectations on God based on the thing that we're prizing. And I think what Jeremiah is showing us here is part of moving away from despair and hope and these other things that displace God is remembering He's the best thing we can have. I mean, just reality check here. If you know that the God of the universe who spoke the heavens and earth into being, that sustains the stars and the heavens, that, that ran the sunset up one more time this morning, that, that is allowing us to breathe and, and function, and if you know that that guy is on your team, why are we worried? C- can we trust him? Can we agree he knows better than we do and he's good and he's wise and he's powerful? And that, that's the frame of mind we need to get to in depression. That's the frame of mind we need to get to when it feels like God is against us and say, no, I've got, it's all wrong. If God is for me, finish, the, finish it, who can be against me? And that's what he's saying here. Hope comes from realizing that God is our greatest provision. And if we have him, we have hope. Okay, now just just a footnote on this. Jeremiah's message, uh, come up for air for a minute, okay? Jeremiah's message for 40 years of ministry to this rebellious people was this exact point, that the people had replaced God. That's the whole ministry. They're going after other gods. They're living for other things. They have left their God behind, and they are committing an act of divine treason because they have... They have turned away from the true God and they are worshiping false God. And, and the judgment that was threatened and that finally came to pass was because God's people had replaced him. The, the reason the Babylonians are, are in the city destroying things is because God says, that's your judgment for turning away from me and refusing to rebel. But, but I want you to remember, that's not just the problem of this generation of Israelites. This is humanity's problem, isn't it? The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. 
That the problem of humanity is that we have turned away from our God who made us and we are worshiping and serving and making life about other things. And you know what that means? Is that humanity has a problem. A problem that will end not just in the destruction of a city, but the Bible promises that people like us that rebel against God, that do not repent, will come to an eternal judgment. And this is a, this is a good time to remember that. that. That's why we're here. We're here because we have a message of rescue to a fallen people that's rejected their God. Remember what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah talks about in his book that there's going to be a righteous branch, the Messiah, who comes in. And then in chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah, he gives this wonderful reminder that God is coming in the new covenant to bring forgiveness and restoration to God. You know what that means? For a lot of people, it may feel like God is against them, Because He is. God is opposed to our sin. He's opposed to our rebellion. He's opposed to our turning away from Him and making life about other things. And and yet we have this wonderful rescue plan that through Jesus' uh, life and death and resurrection, God will restore us to Himself. And so God goes from being an enemy to being a treasured eternal friend. So let's just remember that, 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 that that's, that's humanity's problem, that's the solution, and, and that um, we need to remember that our job as believers is to share that message that men and women can be rescued from this judgment and they can know God as Father and Friend and Savior and Creator as they would trust in the Messiah as well. Now, that's not where Jeremiah is right now. Jeremiah knows God. He's just allowed his emotions and his experiences to reimagine God into this Marvel comic monster who's out to get him. But he's coming around, isn't he? He, He's making progress. He's actively remembering God's character. He's engaging God by talking to him. He's found and reclaimed God as his most prized possession. Look at the fourth thing he helps us with here. Seek God and wait for him with a quiet heart. Seek God And wait for him with a quiet heart. Look at verse 25. He says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent, since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. Let's stop right there. You say, what is going on there? You you can't see it in your English Bible, but every stanza of that section there that starts there starts with the word good. It's good, good, good. You say, what is that? Um, How does God help us when we feel like he's against them and when depression and all these things are going on? God helps us by reframing what we consider to be good. Do you see that? God says the Lord is good to those for, who wait for him. How many of you just love to wait? You love it when Amazon's late. You love it when the UPS guy doesn't show up. You love it when traffic keeps... How many of you just love to wait? Okay, that's what I thought. Me too. Here's what God says. It's good for you and me when we have to wait. Now, I don't like that 
You probably don't like that. And that's why we need this verse. God is reframing for us. He's saying, hey, I know you think this, but I'm going to show you something the way things really are. It is good for you to wait. It is, I will be good to those who wait, to the person who seeks him. It's good that he waits silently. When we feel like God is against us, largely it's because we forget and have redefined what's actually good. It's good for us to wake and wait and seek God. He's saying here, it's good for us to accept the circumstances God has brought without complaining and with a quiet, trusting heart. He's saying it's good for us when we submit to the plan of God, even when it's hard. You say, okay, why is that? Because... God does some of His best work in our hearts when we can't do anything else but trust Him and wait on Him to work. Have you noticed that in your life? We just want to, do, we want to solve the problem, we want to fix this, do that, research this, and God says, you know what? That's not good for your soul. Do you know what grows you more into the character of Christ? Do you know what brings real hope in the midst of difficulty, when all you and I can do is trust God, wait on His timing, and submit to whatever He's doing. And to do it with a hopeful, quiet heart. That's good for our souls. I know, I know we don't naturally think about that, but that's actually a really good place of spiritual health. Waiting doesn't mean we do nothing. Let me be clear on this. Waiting doesn't mean that we do nothing, but it does mean that we seek God, that we quiet our hearts, and we accept the circumstances we are in, confident and hopeful that He will work. Do you guys remember years ago that the movie Fireproof that came out, that with Kirk Cameron was in that one? Remember that? There's a wonderful uh, a song in that popularized in that soundtrack, a guy named John Waller wrote a song called While I'm Waiting. You guys know that song? I won't sing it to you. Trust me, you don't want me to do that. But the lyrics are amazing. And, and the point of the song is God does his best work while we're waiting. So when we're waiting for him to act, serve him, uh, uh, find him, seek after him. And know that he will work in our hearts as we do. Let's look at number five. Trust that God will honor his word even in hopeless circumstances. Trust that God will honor his word even in hopeless circumstances. Look at verse 31. For, God, for the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his loving kindness. See, see, these verses remind us that God is always faithful to his word, even when it doesn't seem like it. God has promised the people that after his discipline in in Jeremiah's day, that they would again know his compassion, that he would not reject them forever. And what's the proof of that? The proof is that God's loving kindness never ceases. He is loyal and faithful to his people. In fact, that's the definition of faith, isn't it? Faith is trusting God's word and character instead of our feelings and circumstances. That's faith. You're trusting God's word and his character instead of your feelings and circumstances. And God says, you know what? Uh, I need, uh, Jeremiah says, I need to trust that God will honor his word even when the circumstances around me are saying otherwise. 
Here's a question to ask yourself. In my difficulty right now, what promises of God am I tempted to question? And with that, what passage of Scripture would help me to remember, no, that feels true, but it's not true. My circumstances make me think that, but it's not. That's where the the Word of God renews us and and gives us hope and help so that we will not uh, abandon the promises and character of God, but we will trust that God will honor His Word in that. There are beautiful promises in Scripture, aren't there? I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. No good thing does He withhold from Him who walks uprightly. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are promises we need to rehearse and preach and sing and recount and cling to in the midst of hard circumstances. Let's look at our last point. And uh, I guess it didn't quite make it on the slide there. Oh, well, I'll tell it to you. Here's the last point. Think of God as one who does not afflict from the heart. Think of God as one who does not afflict from the heart. Look at verse 33. For he, God, does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. What does that mean? Well, we know from verses 37 and 38 that God is sovereign over all things, right? God is in control. We know that God allows suffering, pain, death, and difficulties of many kinds and uses them in his plan. We know that God sometimes disciplines his people, even severely for their good. But here's the question. What's God's disposition in all of that? When we go through hard things, where's God's heart in that? What's his, what's his disposition? Is, is he like a Joseph Stalin or an Adolf Hitler when those men afflicted their own people? Is that his heart? What's his heart? Look what it says here. It says, he does not afflict willingly. That word translated in your Bible, willingly, is, is, is actually God does not afflict from his heart. Uh, he, he doesn't intend to grieve the sons of men. Meaning, the, the word means he, he doesn't intend to torment them. That's helpful, guys, because this shows us that even when God is bringing discipline or even when he's bringing hard things into life, his heart is one of compassion and mercy. Uh, and we have, we have to be careful in this because we, we know that God, God is not a God of mood swings, right? He's not moody and emotional. He's kind of all over. The, no, God is fixed in his character and he's, he's fixed in his attributes. And yet he feels for us, his people. And this reminds us that even when hard things are going on, he's, he's not afflicting from his heart. He's not afflicting willingly. He's not intending to torment. I remember when our, our kids were little and, and we would have to, um, because of some disobedience, and, and we won't name the guilty, uh, but because of some disobedience, we had to give a spanking. And I will never forget when one of my kids in the midst of a, spank, a spanking said, Daddy, you're hurting God's creation. <laughs> now watch it. They'll use theology against you. They will. Uh, especially if you've taught them well. 
Um, but I'll tell you what, one of the hardest things to do as a parent, out of love, out of care, not, not out of anger, that's, that's dishonoring to God, but, but in, in love and care, out of, the, out, out of the desire for the well-being of that child, to inflict pain. And I can remember for that one story that was kind of humorous, many more times, Daddy, I thought you loved me. I'll never forget, we were in, we were in a office of our pediatrician, and there was some injection that was needed. I don't remember the specifics, having to hold my little one down with my wife. Daddy, what are you doing? Screaming, yelling, crying. I thought you loved me. I think that our Heavenly Father can relate to that. I think that as He brings hard things into our life that are good for us and life-giving and spiritually renovating, and we are pleading and crying to our Heavenly Father, God, I thought You loved me. That He's thinking something like this, what we parents think. I can't explain this to you. You just have to trust your dad and know that I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because it's good for you. When we feel like God is against us, we need to remember that that's his heart. He doesn't afflict willingly. He afflicts like a loving parent cares for their children, even in moments of discipline. So let's remember, when, when we're feeling like this, let's pursue God. Let's remind ourselves of His character. Let's talk to Him, not run away from Him and just talk about Him. Let's remember His promises never fail. Let's remember uh, to wait on His timing, to claim Him as our most prized possession. And remember that He afflicts for our good, as the New Testament says, so we might share in His holiness. Let's pray. Father, we, we can't understand your mind and heart perfectly. But we thank you that in this, this short time we're reminded of who you are. Even when you don't make sense and even when we question your goodness and it feels like you're opposed to us. Lord, I pray in those moments that we will seek you. We will remind ourselves uh, of who you are. That we will remember our Savior who brings us into a friendship with you that can never be separated. And Father, in those times when it does feel like you're afflicting us and you're disciplining us, and that we'll remember that, that as a loving parent, you only have our good and best interests at mind. Lord, thank you for Mr. Jeremiah. Um, we have his account in our Bible, and he went through all of these hard things in part for our benefit. And I pray that we'll learn from his story and learn from his song and remind ourselves that your loving kindness never ceases, your compassions never fail. You are, they are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for these reminders. Help us to remember them in the days of struggle. In Jesus' name, amen.